But we're going to talk about over the next nine weeks how there is a secret that we have, a secret that we who are believers in Christ have. And that secret may seem preposterous to people in our world. It may seem unusual. It may seem ridiculous. It may seem crazy to a lot of the people that we interact with. But the secret of what it is to be a believer in Christ is what empowers us, what makes us who we are, what creates our ability to cook, or in this metaphor, to live life as believers in Jesus. So we are starting a new series this morning. It is called The Secret, but if you watch Oprah, which I don't regularly, it's not that secret. There's a book out called The Secret, been out a couple years. You know, any book that appears on Oprah is always going to be like an immediate bestseller. And unfortunately, the books, a lot of times that are on that list, this book in particular, is just a book about what? mind over matter, that if you believe that you're going to be wealthy, if you believe you're going to be successful, then you will be successful. That's the secret. But unfortunately, the Bible talks about a secret, and it's not that secret. It's a different secret. So we're not going to deal with that secret, but we are going to deal with what the Bible says about the secret in Colossians. Now, this morning is going to be a little bit different than normal because we're going to start a nine-week series of a book study of Colossians. I've never done a nine-week series before. Why? Because, well... Can you guys come all nine weeks? Okay, that's the issue. A lot of times we can make it one or two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. But I'm going to argue with you this morning that in order to really understand the book of Colossians, you really need to try to come every week of the nine weeks, if at all possible. The reason is because we're going to be building a house. We're going to build a house over the next nine weeks, and I'm going to teach you why the Bible is written the way it is and how the Bible is written. Now, many of you approach faith from an emotional perspective. But I'm going to challenge you this morning and argue with you this morning that faith is also an intellectual exercise, which means we've talked a lot about needing not just the heart, but needing the mind, needing the conviction also. All three things must be engaged for us to really understand the Bible. So here's our strategy. Today we're going to do an introduction to the book of Colossians. I know that the chances are that I will put some of you to sleep for the first few minutes because you're going to be like, this is boring. But in order to build the house, I have to explain how a house is constructed first. So if, you need, if you're really tired and you need a nap for 30 seconds, I understand. Take a nap. Come back to me in the middle. Okay, it's fine. But I'm going to try not to put you to sleep for this part. We're going to do something also very different here this morning with introducing Colossians. Let me just start from the beginning. Most people in America today, the average Christian person in America today, believes in God, but knows little to nothing about the Christian faith. Let me say that again. Most Christians in America today, people who say that they're Christians, know little to nothing about the Christian faith. Why would I make that statement? Well, a guy named George Barna has done lots of surveys, you know, calling people up on the phone, talking to them, thousands of people all across the country. And he has found that when you ask someone, are you a Christian, that a large percentage of Americans will say yes. And then he'll ask them just very basic, very rudimentary questions about what their Christian faith is. And they don't know the answer to any of those questions. Very few questions do they know the answer to, or do they get right in a way. Over the last couple hundred years, people have argued that if you are a Christian, you are dumb, you're ignorant, you're a hillbilly. Because... If you're a Christian, you just have to accept things on blind faith. That's what it is. You got to check your brain at the door and you got to accept by blind faith 
that there is a God and there's a God who loves you and all the other ritualistic stuff that goes into it. But I'm going to argue with you today that that is a myth that has been created over the last especially 200 years by people who are against the Christian church. They don't want Christians to be smart. You know why? Because an intelligent Christian is a danger to them. A lot of the messages I do here are practical, and a lot of the messages I do here are easy to understand. This one's going to be a little deeper because I'm going to teach you some tools about how to build a house. Now, I'm not going to lose anybody, but I just want to let you know at the outset, this is very different than anything we've ever done before. I've been a little hesitant to do book studies for two reasons. Number one, to really do a book study, you need lots and lots of weeks. I mean, Colossians is like four pages. Out of this whole Bible, Colossians is like four pages. And so we're doing nine weeks just trying to get as much through Colossians as we can. You try to do a book study on Genesis, you're going to be here for like three years. So that's the problem. The other thing is, is that frankly, and you guys know I'm a little bit different, and that can be a good thing. But a lot of times, if you've ever sat through a book study before in other churches, I find that the method for going through a book study is not very appealing. And this is just my personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But going verse by verse through the Bible is not always very conducive to actual spiritual growth. And I'm going to tell you why. In a large setting like this, I believe, and you guys know, that you cannot be discipled simply by coming to church. That if you're hoping to come to church and just listen for an hour one week and you're going to become fully intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, really connected to God, it's probably not going to happen. Now, church is critically important. Because church opens the door and asks the big questions that you need to be asking. But individual discipleship has to come from you reading the Bible yourself. You being in a life group yourself and going through it there verse by verse. All I can really do, I believe, is to introduce you to the ideas, some of the hard work you have to do yourself if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, and I know there are pastors who will disagree, and that's fine. We can disagree and let, let them and I disagree. But I, I feel in my heart that Sunday mornings cannot fully disciple someone. But I can do some things. I can challenge you, and I can teach you how to build a house. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to build the house of Colossians. Okay, all right, now's when you can go to sleep if you want to. But here's the thing. Colossians is a letter of Paul. Now, when I say that, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that we in the Bible, if you have an older Bible, it'll call it an epistle. It'll call it a letter. And so when we look at it, we see Paul says, hey, everybody, here's what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Thanks for everything. See you later, Paul. And that's the letter, and Colossians is no different than that. But I want to teach you about the house this morning, because when you look at the letters of Paul, like Colossians, like Romans, like Ephesians, like Galatians, they are oftentimes difficult to understand. Let's be honest. The Bible is not the easiest book in the world to read. One of the reasons why is because the Bible is several thousand years old and the thought processes that went into the ancient world is not the same thought process that we deal with today. For example, last couple of weeks we talked about discouragement and talking about being encouraged. In the ancient world, they weren't discouraged by their commute because they didn't commute. But how many of us commute? We almost all commute, don't we? Even if it's just a five-minute commute, we still hate it. There's nothing like sitting in traffic in the morning and being like, yeah, this is a great time, a waste of my life. And, and so we have frustrations and we have discouragements that people in the ancient world didn't have. So part of it's the thought process. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And I want to focus on one thing. It is really a mistake in a way to think of the letter 
to Colossians as being simply a letter. This right here is a picture of a letter or similar document from the ancient world. Now, I know this looks different than our letters because it's written differently, different words, different, different background, meaning the papyrus instead of paper, but it's basically the same thing. Dear John, hey, what's going on? In fact, let me show you an example. This is, this is not from the Bible. This is a letter from the ancient world 2,000 years ago in the same language as the Bible, same time and place in the, in the Bible. This is a letter from Theon to his dad. Here's what the letter says. Archaeology discovered this recently. Dad, a fine thing you did in not taking me to the city with you. If you are not going to take me with you to Alexandria, meaning the city in Egypt, I'm not going to write you a letter. I won't speak to you and I won't wish you well. If you go to Alexandria without me, I won't greet you ever again. By the way, it was a good thing that you sent me some big presents on the 12th, the day that you sailed. I'm asking you to send me a lyre, meaning a guitar, it's the same thing. He's asking for a guitar. If you don't send me a guitar, I'm not going to eat, I won't drink. So there, I pray that you're well, your son Theon. Now that's a normal letter, right? We would expect any 12-year-old to send that to our dad today. That's a real letter that archaeology discovered, same time, same place. That's easy to understand. Why then are the letters in the Bible more difficult to understand? Listen, archaeology discovered tons of letters from the ancient world where mothers have written their family and said, make sure you fluff the cushions and, and put the curtains up and clean the house before I come home. If Paul had written a normal letter from the ancient world, he would have said this. He would have said, dear church in Colossae, I hope you're well. I'm in prison. Thanks to be here, but hopefully I'll get to see you at some point. Make sure you're cleaning the church. Make sure you're talking to people. Make sure you start your worship on time. Make sure you get things underway on time. See you soon. Love, Paul. That's the way it would have been. For some reason, Paul's letters are a little different. Here's the reason why. Really, it's better to think of the letters of Paul as a rhetorical argument wrapped up in letter form. Now, what does that mean? Well, you don't, if, if the word rhetorical doesn't mean anything to you, it's a way of speaking that was popular in the ancient world. Let me put it to you like this. I am a carnivore. Many of you guys know that. I'm a carnivore. There is no such thing as vegetables or fruit that I like touch my lips more than a big old juicy steak. Carnivore, that's the way it is. So here's the thing. If I go to Sizzler, nothing wrong with Sizzler, but if I go to Sizzler, I get a steak that's paper thin oftentimes, and it's like tissue paper, and you eat it, and it's like, okay, that's nice, but that was the hors d'oeuvre, not the, the main course. That was the appetizer. When you send a letter to someone that says, hey, Jim, Bob, how's it going? Can you make sure you start on time? Make sure the church is clean. See you later. Paul, that is a tissue paper letter. You do what with it? You read it once, and you throw it away. Paul, though, under the inspiration of God, and here's the key, Paul, under the inspiration of God, wrote letters to the church that would not be tissue paper. He wrote letters to the church that they would read and speak about on Sunday morning on a regular basis, that they would argue about, that they would teach on. It wasn't just a read once and throw it away kind of thing. It was a read over and over and over and over again kind of situation. You know what? When I go and I get a steak, I want a big, thick steak. Big, thick steak that I put on the grill. It's good that way. It's a lot better. But you know what? Cooking it takes what? How, does it take a long time to cook a steak this thick? No. Cook a steak this big? Long time, right? Which one tastes better? This or this? This one. Which one's harder to cut? This one or this one? This one is harder to cut. Paul's letters are harder to cut than the average letter because they are rhetorical arguments. 
So don't miss that. That's the reason why it's difficult. Now, here's the thing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to look primarily at the frame of the book. We're going to look at the frame of the book. What I'm not going to do is put you all to sleep talking about what happened in Colossae 2,000 years ago. Talking about this little detail and that little detail. Why? Because you can do that yourself. See, here's the thing. When we deal with this, once you understand the frame of the book, you can understand the details yourself. All of you are capable of going down to Berean, buying a little book on the introduction to Colossians 5.99 down there, and learning about what happened in Colossae and what was going on. What I'm going to do over the next month, is te- actually two months, is teach you how to understand what Paul is arguing. Because Paul is building a house. When he writes this letter, he is not just writing a letter that says, hey, how's it going? I hope everything's well. See you later. It's not a postcard. He is actually creating an argument. He is actually building a house. Does it matter what color you paint the sheetrock of the house when it comes to construction of the house? No. Sorry, ladies. Does it matter that you even have sheetrock? Will sheetrock hold the house up? No, it will not. What holds the house up? What makes a house a house? Well, I know the people, but what makes a house a house from a building perspective? The foundation and the frame. Very good, that's right. The foundation and the frame. I'm going to show you, pull back the sheetrock, I'm going to show you the frame and the foundation of Colossians. Then you can go and study for yourself the details, the color, the carpentry, the, the curtains. You can learn all the details yourself on your own study of Colossians. If I give you the details, I feel that you will remember the details for a while and they won't change your life. But what I teach you about Colossians, if you're here all nine weeks, you can apply to the other epistles, not Genesis or Leviticus, but you can apply to Romans. You can apply it to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Thessalonians. You can apply it to those books and learn how Paul constructed an argument and why he did it this way, okay? So yes, I'm asking you to think a little more deeply than normal, but... Again, why do we care about thinking? Because God doesn't want you to have a blind faith. The idea that you're supposed to just believe God and that's it is a myth created by your enemies and my enemies. It is not the truth of what God wants for you. The early church was a a large degree, a bunch of really smart guys and gals who really argued and took the gospel to all nations. And the reason why they were so successful is because they had it here, they had it here, and they had it here, too. You want to be a triple threat? Then you got to have it all three places. Okay? Let's do it. So, I'm just going to introduce the, the book this morning very simply. Now, let me mention something about the handout this morning. I know all of you are confused because it looks like a mad lib. Everybody take out their handout. So, I'm going to show you what we're going to do next nine weeks. Usually, this is optional, but, I'm going to, but you, you'll want it this time. On the front, it looks like a mad lib. Everybody remember what a mad lib is? It's a silly story, and underneath it says, put in an adjective. So you put in an adjective and it comes with a silly story. This is not a mad lib. You can fill in the blanks if you want to the story and it'll be interesting, but it's not what we're going to do. Now, this is right here on page one. It says, Dear Church Folks in Colossae, this is me taking the book of Colossians and turning the book of Colossians, the frame of it, into two paragraphs. Does that make sense? In other words, there's a couple paragraphs here and once you fill in all the blanks, you're going to have the whole argument of the book of Colossians right here. So if someone asks you, hey, what's the point of the book of Colossians? All you need to do is remember this par- these two paragraphs and you'll know because people at work ask you all the time, what's the point of Colossians, right? <laughs> right, okay, good, all right, good. 
So on the back, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do some introductory material. I've already done some of it. And then at the bottom, we're going to do the regular notes for today. Yes, the notes here also go in these blanks too. So they go in both, both, both places. All right, let's talk about this. First of all, let's, turn, let's go and open to Colossians if you want to. We're going to be in uh, just the first couple verses here in Colossians this morning. And so if you guys want to open to Colossians in your print Bibles or your smartphone, your iPhone, Galaxy tab, whatever you have, uh, go and open up there. If you have a print Bible instead of an iPhone, I want to show you something, though, because Colossians is, in my Bible, two pages. This is Colossians right here. Everybody see that? Isn't that crazy? And it's taken us nine weeks. You know why? Because Paul liked thick steak. And Peter even talks about the fact that it bothered him sometimes that Paul likes such thick steak. But that's okay, because we're going to learn a lot. We're going ha- to have... If you're not a carnivore, I'm sorry. I just can't imagine a thick vegetable. Whatever, okay? All right. Let's see what the Bible says. Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Now, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Coloss, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Here's the deal. This is just Paul saying what? Hello. That's all it is. Paul's saying hello. He doesn't really know the people in Colossae. He hasn't met them in the church. He doesn't know them. So he's just saying, hey, everybody, hello. First two verses, just hello. We're not going to deal with it. If you want to look it up in your commentary or whatever, go to Brian, get a book on it. Awesome. He's just saying hello there. Okay? First part of the letter, hello. Starting in verse 3. We always pray for you. Oh, so, so that you're clear. Let me just, before I do this. In other words, did I drop it? I did drop it. In other words, when it says dear, oh, thank you. When it says dear church folks in Colossae, that's me just rewriting what Paul says there in verse one or two. Dear church folks in Colossae, that's what he said. That was just the welcome. Thank you. All right, Colossians starting in verse three. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Before you can build a foundation, you got to clear the land. What do you call that? You got to, uh, we're in the process of building a building. You got to, what is it? Grading. There you go. You got to do the grading, right? So this is what Paul's doing. The first step in building a house, the first step in this letter to the church in Colossae is he has cleared the land. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, I'm really excited that you became a believer in Jesus. And I want to just praise God for that. That's what these verses say. Now, let's break it down a little bit further than that. You're believers now. Way to go. You're believers now. Paul opens up by congratulating them and being excited that they have chosen to follow Jesus. Congratulations, you're believers now. We can be really excited about that. We can be really hopeful about that. And Paul goes into a little bit of detail about what it means that they have become believers in Christ. 
Paul prayed for the faith of the Colossians. Even though Paul had never met the Colossians, even though he didn't know who they were, he was really excited because they had made a decision to follow Jesus. You know, these are people that he had just heard about. He had, uh, some of the people that he knew also knew to him, and he was really excited and was praying for them that they had become believers. In the same way for us today, we are starting at this foundational level, at this grading level, because all of us can be excited. Way to go. The Bible's telling us way to go. You have made a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Now, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, we're all starting at this very beginning part where Paul starts, which is, congratulations, you're now a believer in Jesus. Now let's talk about what that means and what that looks like. Our faith is based on our hope of God's plan. So Paul says here he's really excited because the Colossians have faith that is based on the hope of God's plan. So here Paul says this. He says, look, we always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. So Paul is saying, listen, it's really awesome that you became believers in Christ and you have this confidence now of what God is going to do in your life. Every time we make a decision in life, and this is the foundation, this is the grading that's going on here. Every time that we make a decision, do something in our lives, there's a consequence of that. If you go down to Nordstrom's, ladies, and you see a beautiful dress, and it's a beautiful dress. I don't know anything about beautiful dresses, but you know about beautiful dresses. You see this beautiful dress, and it's 500 bucks. And you're thinking, man, that's the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. It's 500 bucks. So you go, you pay 500 bucks, and you buy the dress. There's a consequence, which is what? Right. I knew, I, I knew, okay. All right. So husbands, yes, could get upset, but... The immediate consequence anyway would be the fact that $500 is going to be taken out of your bank account if you use your debit card or $500 is going to be added to your bill on your credit card. That's the immediate consequence. There, by the way, there may be other consequences such as your husband saying, wow, you look beautiful in that dress, honey. There you go, right? <laughs> I had a minute to think about it and you didn't, so okay. <laughs> that may be the right answer, by the way. I don't know. But there's consequences. That's what happens. There's consequences when we do things. Paul is saying here is the very foundation that it is exciting that you have become a believer in Jesus, but as a result of becoming a believer in Christ, there are consequences. There are immediate consequences, and there's also, as Bill was nice enough to point out, there's going to be secondary consequences as well. So our faith that we have in Christ is based on this hope of God's plan that we have. What are the Colossians were excited about? They were excited because they had believed in Christ. They were excited because they were looking forward confidently to what God was going to do. We know that the word hope in the Bible, if you've been here to BBC any time, our theme is hope. We talk a lot about hope. Hope is not a you know, pie-in-the-sky idea, but is a confident knowledge of what God is going to do. And so the Colossians knew that God had a plan for their lives. The Colossians understood that God was going to do something. They had decided to follow Jesus, and they were looking forward to what God was going to do. And it was amazing and they were really excited about it. So how to in our lives in the same way we should equally be excited about what God has done. But as we're going to learn from what Paul says in Colossians, there is a consequence of choosing that. I'm excited that you have chosen to follow Jesus. But there is a consequence that we need to talk about as you try to live your life and follow him. And secondly, you're growing in faith. Dear church folks in Colossae, Way to go. You're believers now. And you're growing in your faith too. That's really awesome. Paul is congratulating them here. He's letting them know something really good and really exciting. He's giving them praise 
before he talks to them about some of the corrections that they need to do in their lives. By the way, Paul says this, he writes this, starting in verse 6, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about, wonderful, about God's wonderful grace. And so what happens here is Paul is saying, listen, that when the Holy Spirit goes out, when the good news goes out, when the gospel goes out into our world and it's proclaimed, people hear it and they have their lives changed and transformed by it. I'm really excited, everybody, in Colossae because you're growing in your faith. And that's a really cool thing. And by the way, that's what we're supposed to be doing. See, the gospel bore fruit in the lives of the Colossians. There are many times when we encounter in our world that we encounter people who claim to be Christian, but that's really about it. We don't see them go to church. We don't see them serve God. We don't see them love their neighbor. We don't see anything about them that sets them apart from the world. That's not the kind of fruit bearing that the, that the gospel is supposed to produce. When, the, when we hear the gospel and we listen to the gospel and we hear God's word and we make a change to go uh, from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, there should be some type of transformation or change in our lives. There should be a difference between the way we were and the way that we are now. And Paul's saying here, listen, I know that you're believers. I know that you made a commitment because there is some fruit that is able to be seen in your life. But here's the thing that, about fruit. Fruit is something that comes and goes, unfortunately, in our world today. You know, before the church in Colossae, before Christ came, there were several hundred years in history where there wasn't a whole lot of fruit that we know of in God's people. And there's been times and situations and environments where there's been more fruit and there's been less fruit. But this was a really fruitful time. Paul was really excited because the gospel was really getting spoken to lots and lots of people throughout that part of the world. And lots and lots of people were changing their lives. And they were, regardless of the negative consequence or the positive consequences of the day-to-day, -day, they were grabbing hold of the confident hope that they can have in God, that they were establishing faith, love, and hope in what God would do. And, and so when we, come, we, when we come and look at our lives, we want to make sure that we are bearing the same fruit, that God is, can look at us and say, hey, congratulations, you're believers now, you made this commitment, and your lives are bearing fruit. As we finish up here this morning, because this is just the introduction, just a reminder that one thing that Paul is alluding to here, and it's really important, is that it is impossible for us to believe and not grow. It's impossible for us to believe and not grow. The myth of the modern secular view of church is that you can kind of come to church and go through a ritual and that you can sort of believe it in your heart but not believe it in your mind, that you can believe it in your heart but not take action on it. Those are myths created to hold you down. When we become a believer in Christ and God's fruit grows into our lives, when we start bearing fruit ourselves, then we will see a difference and it will be impossible for us not to grow. My son is four. He's doing a preschool science experiment at home. And what he's doing is he has a clear plastic cup. And inside the clear plastic cup, they put water and a sponge-like thing. And he put beans in there. What was the goal of the experiment? Anybody want to guess beans and water in a cup? Sprouts, not some stew or something like that. To see the, the bean sprout. Here's what happens. When the bean sprouts, what does it do? It's, in, it's a bean. It's in the shell. It's sitting in there like this. Cracks. And you see a little tiny little thing come out of it, and eventually that little thing becomes a big vine. When you become a believer in Jesus, that is the shell cracking. That's it. When you raise your hand on Sunday morning and say, I want to be a believer in Jesus, I want to follow God, the shell is cracked. All right, that's awesome. 
But you know what? There's more to life than just a cracked shell. There's growing into the vine to bear fruit that God wants for you to do. Now, if we want to be faithful followers of Jesus, we do not exist just simply as a cracked fruit with the potential to grow. We actually do grow. We decide that we want to grow because we are committing our hearts, our, our guts, and our minds to that, committed, that commitment to follow God and to be one of his people and to say, okay, God, what do you want to know from, what do you want to teach me today? What do I want to know from you today? What do I learn? So it's impossible to believe and not grow. And Paul is setting this up at the outset for the grading of the foundation. He's saying here, listen, you got to grow when the Holy Spirit, when God, when the gospel, when it speaks to you, that you will grow in this situation. Again, we look at Colossians 1 and he says here this. He says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, is bearing fruit every day by changing lives just as it changed your life from the day you first heard. That if when the gospel interacts, intersects, changes our lives, it makes it mandatory that we grow. Either we will grow or we will just remain stunted and we will die because we will not have the life-giving spirit. We will never become the person that God wants us to be. Okay, now, nine weeks. I got to end there because of time, but here's the situation. Let's just start the foundation. Here's what God does. This is how he makes the rhetorical argument through Paul. Paul says what? Hey, dear church folks in Colossae, way to go. You're believers now, and you're growing in your faith. All right, now let's deal with what that looks like. What are some of the issues involved with that? So this morning, we've laid the grading we basically cleared the path, which is your believers now. What are the consequences? What's the impact? What are the issues you will face? What are the things we'll do? This is how Paul sets up his rhetorical argument. We'll deal with more next week. Let's pray.